welcome to an all-new podcasting experience. Let's talk about everything wrestling. Now, yes, that's th those three letters, AEW. That's not all we're going to talk about. We'll talk about the good, the bad. We steal another podcast some of you guys might have heard of, The Ugly, the wrestling, uh, the wrestling Roundtable, which uh, people may or may not have heard. Uh, I've heard them recently. They do a pretty good job, to say the least. But uh, my name's Corey Richmond. I've done a little podcast called the Workshoot Wrestling Podcast with my former partner, Jason Brooks, for almost 300 episodes. He decided to have these adorable things called children. I was left on my own. Uh, this guy named Harry, which you'll meet in a second, when it said, uh, you want to try something new? And I was like, why not? I still like to vent about things. And uh, so without any further, Harry, welcome to this experiment. Let everybody know uh, your name and uh, what you like, you don't like. Thanks, Corey. Thanks for having me. Uh yeah, my name is Harry uh, Sabarium. I'm a avid wrestling fan for about almost 30-something years. Um, uh, my very first match I can remember was in 1983. I remember uh, Jimmy Superfly Snuka and Don Morocco in a steel cage match. And this is back in the day when they had to put, like, the X up, you know, when there was blood. Um, and Paul Orndorff got involved and uh, all that good stuff. And so uh, wrestling kind of cemented me... Uh, because my father loved wrestling and uh, it was like my bond with my father. So um, early years, it was big, you know, uh, WWF and uh, AWA and uh, some NWA wrestling. Um, and then um, obviously I was there for the Monday Night Wars and all that. And um, ECW is probably my favorite uh, promotion that I've ever watched. Um, but I love it all and I still watch it to this day. So uh I wanted to uh, share, you know, my views, experiences, and uh, my gripes about the uh, wonderful uh, industry that we uh, all watch every week. That's a great point, right off the top. I'm not for people who do decide to listen to this. We all know this isn't the only podcast you're going to ever listen to. We all listen to multiple opinions, and we all have opinions. Some opinions may not be liked by some. If we always agree, that's going to be a terrible podcast. If we never agree. That might be a little bit of a problem. So there was right. always this balance. Like there will be sometimes there are things are said in jest, sometimes a little bit in anger. But, you know, wrestling is something that we all enjoy. And it's, it's just like, you know, different sports. It's a distraction from all the craziness of our politics in the outside world. We'll occasionally, you know, we'll talk about bigger issues. Like me and Jason, who I brought up earlier, one of his passions was talking about, you know, the idea of representation with black wrestlers and how they're treated now of course this is coming from two white males so we don't may not have that perspective right at the top but there might be issues at times where we're like really this is what they're doing with this particular guy and sometimes it might get a little heated but as anything it's coming from a place of love and hoping things get better like on this episode we're going to talk a little bit about this really controversial guy you might have heard from chicago cm punk i believe his name is we're going to talk about you know the return of triple h to power and and Vince no longer be part of it. I'm sure we may not totally agree on what we think of the last year of CM Punk or what Triple H has done since he's come back. But all of these conversations are coming from a place, like I said, of a passion and hope for the, the product to be better. Uh, Harry, like I said, you know, this is your first time doing it. I'm the old veteran. I'm going to basically, you know, pop your cherry here. So let's, uh, let's start off a little fun here. About now three months ago, this, this guy named Paul Levesque came back because there was a little naughty business with Vince McMahon. Vince McMahon's out. Triple H is back. 
everyone out there is going and saying Triple H is doing this great job. He's bringing back all these these guys. He's giving, you know, Braun Strowman a chance to be a monster again. You've got Bray Wyatt and the possible Wyatt Six and all this stuff. But right off top, do you think the product is any better? I mean, how much are you watching since Triple H has taken over? That's a great question. Um, I actually have started watching more WWE again. Um, I've had a very love-hate relationship for uh, 30 years with Vincent Kennedy McMahon and uh, Junior. And um, it was music to my ears when he retired. Um, so, when, so when I did find out that, uh, uh, yeah, true. Um, so when I did find out that, you know, Triple H was taking over. Um, it piqued my interest because I really felt he did great with the black and gold brand of NXT. Um, and where maybe I didn't really necessarily care for him as a wrestler. I feel he did have a good creative mind and he's been around the business enough to be able to bring his own angle. So I think he's done a decent job so far. Um, I'm definitely watching again. Um, I'm not saying I'm religiously loving it like I do, like, say, AEW, um, but it's, it's definitely got my interest again. Yeah, I think that's a, a way a lot of people feel about it. I mean, since he's come back, he's brought back like 5, 10, 15, you know, guys back to the product, Dakota Kai, EO Sky, I believe, which he's called now. We said Braun Strowman, Bray Wyatt. Bray Wyatt, big time. Yeah, Hit Road brought back. But one of the problems that I'm having is how long can you just bring people back and say it's basically what AEW did at the very beginning because they're a new company and every like two weeks you saw an ex-WWE or TNA or somebody coming in and there was this big surprise and big great. But let's be honest here. Yes, apparently uh, Hit Row is going to have a fourth member come tonight. But since Hit Row's come in, besides, you know, a really cool first day, and I know we got to wait for things to develop. But has Hit Row really done anything? They came back. Then they were beat by Legato, El Fantasmo, the family there. I mean, you know, you got Dexter Loomis doing whatever. I mean, you can't blame, you know, like a, the Ciampa thing because Ciampa's now hurt. And they had right. kind of off. Johnny Gargano's back. Has he really done much besides, you know, do some nice, you know, wrestling, which we all appreciate. Candice LeRae's already been, you know, taken out storyline-wise. I mean, has he really done anything by size, like maybe – the Bray Wyatt QR code stuff, that's that much better than what Vince was doing? Uh, no, I wouldn't say it's better. It's just more, I think, what the fans probably wanted originally. Um, and I could be wrong for that, but that's just what I see. Um, I think also that uh, he's trying to mend fences and get the good graces back of, I think, the, you know, the, the, pure, the pure hardcore wrestling fan. Um, I heard on a different podcast earlier today that, uh, you know, uh, people think that, you know, the AEW is more of the purest, you know, um, real diehard wrestling fan uh, for AEW. And, and that WWE is, you know, does, you know, want to do wrestling and all that, but it's more about entertainment and, you know, dragging out these uh, storylines, these like dramatic storylines. Um, I can see that. And I think that, Triple H's vision can't come in the fold yet until he finalizes his roster. So he is bringing back what he felt he trusted in. So it's a process. Another thing I heard earlier today on a different podcast was it takes about 10 years to build a, a wrestler. Like it takes 10 years to cement that wrestler to get over. Sometimes it happens earlier. 
sometimes it happens, you know, later or never. A wrestler really needs 10 years experience to really get where they need to be. I think some people in the process, like say Austin Theory, you know, will take a hit from the newer, you know, or from the re-bringing back talent that was let go uh, because Triple H is trying to mend fences. So it's a slippery slope. But I think Triple H needs a good year to two years to be judged, in my opinion. And so we can really say he's done better than Vince McMahon or not done better or it's just apples and oranges. I could, I, I totally can get that. I mean, and like I said, I'm not saying that the product's not better since Triple H has taken over. I mean, you got longer, longer matches. You don't have, you know, people just sitting around in headlocks. I mean, we don't want to go to like the Vince, Vince Russo school of thinking where if you're in a headlock for more than, or in a rest hold more than like 10 seconds, we want to find the people because that's just that crash TV that Vince right. Russo did. But the, the idea, the fact that, and like I said, what, um, this is coming from a place of hoping everything gets better. And that's, like I said, what we try to do on these podcasts is how long can you realistically do it? Like what AEW is doing before you have to sort of evolve and not just bring in. Yes. In this case, they're bringing in their own ex guys back in the guys that were unfortunately over the last two and a half years or three years since the beginning of the pandemic, where you had, you know, basically black Friday every like three months. But I mean, like Johnny Gargano's come back. Has Johnny Gargano really done anything since he's come back? Has Candice LeRae? I know she's only been back for a couple of days, and one and one goes with two because they're married. You think of them together, but you know, you think about it, like Hit Row. I said Braun Strowman. I really don't have many high hopes from to begin with, but have any of these guys really done anything yet besides debuting and getting that initial pop? And I think that's kind of where you go. Do I? What? What's the after effect of this? I mean. It was great seeing, you know, so, uh, so, uh, Vega come back with uh, Legato the Fantasma. And she was just recently on uh, Busted Open Radio uh, talking about her return, you know, hoping that she's not gone for another six months. And, you know, sometimes it's hard, but what's the follow up? And I know, like I said, tonight on, on SmackDown, when we're recording this, there's going to be, I guess, some sort of confrontation between those two groups. Right. Be, like I said, and I know sometimes I come off as a broken record. I apologize. But what what is there more than just the person returning? I mean, like you got there's there's rumors from PW Insider today or, or yesterday said that Chelsea Green is close to resigning. She's done with Impact. Everyone goes and says that's great, but let's be honest here. What did they do with her the first time? What did they do with Mia Yim the first time? She had a couple of matches. Where where do you go and how are things going to be different than the way that like a Chelsea Green was treated the first time? And one of the people in one of the wrestling groups that were in on Facebook, I believe it's called iHeart Wrestling went and said, well, she was always hurt. When she wasn't hurt, she just sat there for months with, you know, throwing, pitching ideas to Vince McMahon. I know it's a different time, but you bring Chelsea Green in, just as an example. Are you actually going to do with any of this time? Or is she just going to sit there like a Kushida and different things? Because we all say Triple, and I know I'm rambling, we all say Triple H is this great thing, but not everything he touched turned to quote-unquote black and gold in NXT. Kushida was barely used. Kent, yes, Kento was hurt, but he was barely, barely used. Chelsea Green, Dina Perrazzo, all these people who, Mia Yim, all these people that we we're all hoping with uh, Triple H in charge, they all go great. He doesn't, nothing, not everything he touches turns to proverbial gold. You're, you're spot on. I can't, I can't debate with you about that. Um, definitely the Chelsea Green once sits out. You know, I remember, I, I remember a couple of times her getting a few, you know, little matches and then you wouldn't see her at all. Um, Mia Yim's a, 
a phenomenal talent in my opinion. Um, I'm a fan and I, I think she's great. Um, and I think that she never really got pushed. I remember when she was in TNA years ago. Um, and, uh, you know, yeah, our dollhouse, right. It was a her Marty bell. And it was, um, uh, what was her name? The worst GM in the history of SmackDown, uh, Tiffany. Tiffany. Correct. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, I forgot about that. So, um, I, I do, I do think that trips does have some faults that, you know, that, that are exposed and you can't just, you can't, you know, uh, hide them. You know, you can't just dust them under the rug, but, um, he does have his hands full right now. So he brought back all this talent, like you said, and he hasn't done much with any of them. I think the most anticipated one was Bray Wyatt. And I think, you know, cause the guy's a creative genius, you know, and you can even say he's not the greatest wrestler. I mean, you know, he, he probably isn't, you know, but you know, he brought something, he brought a different element, you know, to, WWE that it was just astonishing that he was just gone one day, you know, and um, then there was all this flirtation about him going to AEW and, you know, uh, going to save the Dark Order and then there wasn't and then there's other flirtation for the past year about him coming back and now he's back um, and I'm glad he's back, but I hope now he's actually used properly and given a decent run because um, I think the man deserves it. But again, that then puts other people like Austin Theory, the Johnny Gorganos, you know, um, if Tommaso Ciampa wasn't hurt, you know, those type of guys on the back burner for any type of runs, at least in the, you know, in whatever storylines that Bray Wyatt ends up having in the future. Um, so, but I think we can talk about that both ways. I mean, AEW has so much talent. The only difference is, you know, Tony Khan's got Ring of Honor. Mm-hmm. And we're waiting for that to come into play. So he can facilitate both brands with all that talent. I understand that Trips has NXT, um, but you already have a whole bunch of new people down there. You're going to go send, you know, older veteran talent to try and stir up something. And, you know, you know what I mean? Like to already have newer guys you're building. So I do think Trips has a bigger uh, uh, set of circumstances in his place. And he needs to try to evaluate how he can do it and be very methodical about it. Right. And you know what? And before we move on to some other subjects, and I was just thinking about this, you know, all the people that brought back, and one of the ones that they brought back, I even, I totally forgot about it. And I know he's has been on SmackDown, but you know, you bring back uh, Scarlett Bordeaux and Killer Cross or Karrion Cross, whatever they want to call him. Right. So all of this big stuff. And he was a huge star in NXT because of, they made him look like a star and part of the gimmick. And yes, he's one, once again, one of those guys who's more of a brawler than, you know, the high flying guy, but he's a great base for some of those guys. But I, in theory, I think he's in a feud with uh, Drew McIntyre. But at this point, I know we're supposed to give everything time. But do we even care that Killer Cross or Karrion Cross is back now, less than three months later? And I know give everything time, but it almost feels like he's already been lost in the shuffle. And there's there's a lot, you know, you there's a big difference between doing two hours of TV on NXT and once a quarter or maybe a little, little more uh, a pay-per-view or a network special, whatever we're calling them nowadays on Peacock. But, you know, you've got five hours, three hours, unfortunately, two hours for SmackDown. I'm sure someone is booking, you know, main event, which I don't believe. I, I think I've seen once in the five years or six years it's been on, but there's a, you know, then you've got pay-per-views once a month. There's a much different thing of, of doing two hours of television for Triple H and only having to go and deal with 15 guys 
instead of going have to deal with two separate rosters, five plus hours of TV pay-per-views and that that's going to be the thing that's going to be really interesting that triple h can handle all this and i'm not saying he can't but you know when you only have you know nxt for two hours or even before that it was an hour and you you taped all of your tv and you know one studio show or one, one tv taping right it's a lot easier to keep everything in check and that's one of the biggest problems we'll talk about aw in a moment but the big problems with aw there's five hours of tv and you've got 80 plus guys, just male wrestlers at one point on the roster. Right. There's a lot. You know, you had, and we'll talk about this maybe, but you had Lana go on, uh, or I'm sorry, CJ Perry go on uh, a podcast recently. And basically, I think it was slightly misconstrued on the quote unquote dirt sheets or the Meltzers and the Sean Ross apps of the world, but saying, you know, basically Miro's in the same place during the WWE. And, you know, the booker decides who they like. That's who gets used. But, you know, I, I know I'm throwing a lot of stuff at here you right now, but just the general idea is should we have a little bit of trepidation on the idea of, of Triple H going from five, two hours of TV a, a week to five hours of TV and having to go and actually have all these pieces go together, like I said, like a Karrion Cross and a Scarlet who just came back and almost feel like they're just other people again? Yeah, no, I... I... I was shocked when they brought Karrion Cross back, and I actually felt that, uh, like, I was shocked he'd want to come back. Like, after the way, I mean, I'm just going to speak very, you know, bluntly about it. I think what makes Karrion Cross is the whole entrance and Scarlet. You know, without Scarlet, he it didn't work, and he didn't go over at all. Um, well, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but it does help when you're not dressed up like it, uh, a, a very f- a famous character. Right. So, I mean, that, that does hurt. And when you are who's not seven, he's not being ageist, but when you have someone who's 75 plus years old writing your creative, you have someone who's just turned, you know, a little bit over 50 writing your creative is most likely a little bit of a disconnect of what works and doesn't. But like I said, that's a test subject there. And we're going to see how everything goes, but let me get your last point on here. No, no, but you're right. So you're right. It, it also was, I mean, that happened a couple of times, right? Didn't, um, you know, when Keith Lee was with WWE, you know, uh, okay. he went, to, went to the main roster and he had some, you know, bear character. You know what I mean? Like, and, and I understand it was like a trying to pay it back to an older wrestler. And forgive me for not remembering off the top of my head, but uh, um, right, right. So like, but that wasn't needed. The, the whole, li- you know, the limitless, you know, gimmick was great. It was over. It was wonderful. And then they wanted to change it or, or Vince wanted to change it. Um, and I think that um, who else? Eli Drake was one. Remember, he was like the Max model, Max Dupree. Right. And, you know, yeah, now, LA, LA, yeah. now I think now he's the slowly transition. And I'll give them credit; they did something very smart. And like I said, I don't watch every moment of Raw and SmackDown every week at the moment. You know, just based on job and time. But they did a very small little piece in commentary. They said that his real name is Maxwell or Max Dupree, but he this is a but his this almost like a character that gives him confidence is L.A. Knight. So, I mean, at some point, if they want to go back to the Max Dupree or do anything else with him, they have that built-in thing where, yes, this happened. Now he's somebody else. So right. that's smart. And will he ever be Eli Drake again? I don't know if Impact or NWA owns that IPA or whatever you want to say. IPA. He's like, I can use an IPA right now. Um, <laughs> I don't know how exactly that would work, but I – you give them credit at least for something like that. And it's going to be interesting where they go with all these characters. 
I agree. Well, it will be, it'll be, will be a definitely time will tell situation. Um, but um, to get back, you mentioned um, McIntyre. Um, I gotta say that pay per view was it the the uh, the one that was in the UK there. I did not understand that. I was very, I was upset for McIntyre. You know, I thought that was the day he was going to dethrone uh, Roman. Uh, maybe I'm naive, but that's, I just, I, I remember I rushed home to get home to watch it. And, uh, you know, he lost and, you know, was lost, you know, due to interference, I believe. And, um, and then he's in the ring, you know, with Tyson Fury singing. And I understand that's like a kind of a culture thing over there, but, I would not want to be singing if I lost, you know, with such a buildup like that. Um, again, please correct me if I'm wrong, but that if, if I was McIntyre, I'd be fuming. And then I feel him now feuding with Karrion Cross is like a demotion, you know, like how do you bring someone up in, on such a high level and then just drop them down to like just above mid card, but just below like the heavyweight scene. I don't, I don't think that's good for the character at that point. Well, what do you think? Well, uh, I guess we'll quickly talk about that. Um, where it goes, I mean, from everything I've read afterwards and listening to certain people, the whole entire thing with the singing at the end, they thought they were off the air. They didn't realize that they were still rolling on the network. So I'll, uh, give, you a pass. I'll give them a pass for that. If anyone in this, you know, two year or so build of Roman Reigns' champion at a time felt like they could beat him, it was McIntyre. But I think there are bigger plans with the whole possibility of either the rock, you know, making the, which I don't even think it needs it for the rock match, but possibly with the rock, maybe doing, if Cody, if Cody come back and the idea of Cody beating someone like a Seth Rollins does not mean as much if he finally wins the big one and he beats Roman Reigns. I mean, there was a, I think it was a stat that went out because people who were all going crazy about AW just giving a random title shot to somebody when it truly didn't make full sense. They said, you know, in like the nine years or so that Cody was in WWE, he never got, he actually never got a one on one title match. That Cody is going to maybe at some point win the title and it's this big moment. Do you want him breaking? And, and I don't even know if he'd be the guy who beats Roman, but if you're going to have somebody beat Roman and if, and Cody's going to have that moment, do you want Cody beating random number three, Drew McIntyre? Or do you want him going and beating the unbeatable champion? You know, and like I said, do you want to, and I think the idea of Drew, Drew winning the title and then losing it back at Survivor Series to Roman or somewhere in there, I don't know if it really means that much. I understand the idea that when you had the pandemic, the company was put on Drew McIntyre's shoulders for, for part of that in front of no fans. And the second fans came back, he lost, you know, he lost the title. So you're sitting there going, the guy did everything. When is he going to have his moment? But you know what? is this run has been a lot better than his first run when he was, you know, the chosen one and everything else. And I, I don't, and you know, long-term, do I see him holding the title again? Yes. Do I think that he deserve he most likely possibly deserved better than he's getting? Yes. And no, I mean, I don't really know besides him doing one, two, three, before he hits his finisher, the, if the, if the, the average fan truly cares about McIntyre, I might be wrong on that, but I, like I said, the general idea is, yeah, you feel bad for McIntyre and the idea of them doing this singing off when they thought they were, you know, off camera. And that's the whole type Tyson Fury thing, wherever after he fights, he always sings to the audience that makes him seem like more of a people person. And right. One of the people through all the hard times with alcohol and everything he went through. But the idea of, you know, McIntyre 
beating Reigns and then maybe losing it back like two months later, if it's not a long title run for McIntyre, does it really feel like it really means anything? That's yeah, yeah you're right. I mean, I, I I forgot about Cody. I didn't mean to, but you know, I know Cody's out right now. That's a whole nother subject for another day as far as his departure and all that. Um, but uh, yeah, you're right. If, if the plan is to put the belt on Cody eventually and have him, you know, fulfill, you know, his, you know, his, his father's whole, uh, legacy, yeah. right. His father's legacy and the son of a plumber and all that, whatever, you know, all that routine, then yeah, then maybe that's the right way to go. And uh, I just felt bad for McIntyre, but maybe I shouldn't, maybe there's another thing waiting for him. I mean, Maybe they split the belt, the belt eventually, and not unify them. You know, we, we don't know. I guess we'll find out. I mean, we could talk about this and many other things, WWE, many things for hours. But I guess last point before we move on is if you want to feel bad for almost anybody, and I know that depending on what you want to believe with outside things in WWE, Matt Riddle goes from being a main event player to now doing BS stuff with apparently this week with Elias and Chad Gable. I mean, you know, you go from a high of, and yes, high, I realized what I said there, of working with a Rollins and Roman Reigns, and now you're working with Elias. I would, you know, I understand yeah. he's a cool, chill character, and you're waiting for, for Randy Orton to come back, hopefully at some point, so you could either tag them again or show that story. But when you're going from, like I said, headlining a pay-per-view to being, you know, pals with Elias I feel a little bit I feel a little better for for Riddle than I do for a guy who's still basically at the head of the card most weeks with uh with McIntyre that's a good point it's a very valid point it, it well said can't sure. I can't argue. I do feel bad for Riddle even more so that's a good point like I said and the, the Riddle outside the ring stuff is something for another day but uh I think that was a great conversation in regards to WWE and there might be other WWE stuff we talk about as we go on. I mean, they have some interesting stuff going on with NXT, but there's another major company that we talk about here, and that's uh, All Elite Wrestling, or as some people may say, Tony Khan has way too many guys and doesn't know what to do all with all of them. Uh, I don't even know where you, where you want to start. We could start with the MJF uh, possible face turn right now, going full face. We believe that with the firm. You want to talk about the CM Punk, more news coming out that 30 second promo they did with the elite disappearing and how that's the first step of them returning. I mean, I'll let you open the floor here. Which one of those three subjects, or if there's something else you want to talk about with the all elite wrestling right at the top. I see we start with MJF. Um, I think that uh, this has been well planned out. Um, I was also listening to busted open recently uh, earlier today. Uh, they're a podcast and uh, Billy Ray made a, you know, or Bubba, whatever you want to call him, um, made a great point that uh, he felt maybe this is all like in the cards. Like, you know, everyone eventually gets a beat down, right? Yeah. So uh, this is MJF's beat down, but it's kind of like to suck Moxley in and then possibly, you know, have Moxley think that, you know, the firm is not with MJF and really they are the entire time. You know, we'll see. I mean, uh, I think that will play out. I think no matter what, the belt eventually goes on MJF. You've built him up so long that it has to happen. And I, I got to give Moxie a lot of credit. He's stepped up in, you know, so many different ways to uh, carry the torch, you know, when when other things have went south, you know, especially in the past couple months. So canceled his vacation after the scrum and did all that. So we got to give the man credit. Um, but 
I do think that what they're trying to do is kind of like what happened with Austin, you know, years ago, Austin was such a bad, you know, like this whole like badass character, you know, that he ended up winning the fans just by just being a degenerate, like just being like a little rebelish and just doing what he wanted to do. And I think that's, from my perspective, that's where the MJF storyline's going, but mixing it with a little bit of Ric Flair in there as well. Um, that's just my take. Hey, I mean, that's that's a smooth, smooth little idea there. I mean, I think that the most interesting part about this is, and if you want, and um, we can talk about this in a second. If you want to feel bad for somebody in wrestling, you may want to feel slightly bad for Wardlow. It's the biggest one of his career. And then they basically don't even talk about it. And now he's defending the title like once a month and he's doing War Joe with one of my favorites of all time, Samoa Joe, but he's right. kind of a little bit lost. But uh, back back to MJF. MJF has become one of the best, if not the best promo in the business, one of the two or three best in the business. And when he did that promo with uh, CM Punk saying, you know, I'm the, I'm, I'm the, uh, the Piper of Portland and everything, you know, Flair and the Carolinas and everything from these promos you're seeing, it's becoming more and more true. And you sit there and you go, is it a time to make him a baby face? And are we and are they maybe pushing this too much where a lot of times when like an Austin, it, be, it just happened. He was a heel, but the fans were so amused and respected his work through many generations that it, he became uh, the anti-authority figure babyface. I guess twofold you look at this. One, has it been truly earned by MJF? And two, do we really do we want him to be a babyface right now? I think he's. I think each way the character would work. If he's a baby face, as long as he's got, as long as he's not corny like a John Cena when he went too over the top with him being a baby face, but he still has a little bit of an edge. I think it could work because you know you could have him feud with you know with an Ethan Page, you could have him feud with a Mars, you could have him feud with heels and baby faces because he still will come across as a jerk to some, but as almost like the anti-authority savior to others. So I think. I think it's going to be phenomenal to see how they play this out. They still have another about, I think about another three weeks until the pay-per-view. And like you said, is this all a ruse? You know, is the firm actually with him? Like the general idea, I believe, uh, I think it was Brian Alvarez said this a couple of days ago. Remember, the thing is he's playing the idea he's the devil. And the, and the greatest trick the devil ever played was making people believe he didn't exist. Right. If that's what this is all is that, the devil, he's not really a devil. He's changed. He's become an angel and everything. And all, but all of the last second, he, sta he stabs, you know, Michael or whoever, the biblical thing. I'm not very religious. And, and you know, in the back, and he fully becomes, you know, the devil. That's going to be what's interesting here. I don't, I think either way works. But for MJF, I don't know if it's time, especially with the, you know, the, the contract signing of 2024, however he says it. Does it work with him being a baby fish at this point? Does he still not have to be like anti-authority and being the feeling like somewhat of an outsider, even if you don't, even if you believe he's already signed an extension? Being a full full-fledged babyface, I don't know if it truly works. Him still saying that he's taking the mess, the most money, and you know, thirteen months or whatever. Uh, I he, he he cannot be a, a babyface. Has to be a heel, in my opinion. If I'm if I'm TK, you can flirt with this whole like Roos situation. That's great. But the man is 
he's probably the best heel in the business, in my opinion. I know people will say Roman, and I respect that. Um, and, you know, I never thought I'd see Roman as a heel, so I'll give Roman credit. But MJF is different. He is, he's twerpy, but, you know, is a firecracker at the same time. Kind of like has the, you know, CM Punk, CM Punk pipe bomb, you know, esque, you know, mentality. I, I truly feel that he needs to be that captivating heel that's going to lead the next five years. He really needs to be that. And just like with WWE, like w- the best champions are usually heels. You know, like, okay, besides John Cena and Hulk Hogan, maybe The Rock, Austin, how many, you know, how many championship runs can we say were astronomical as a babyface? Sure. No, that's a very good point. So I, I feel that, you know, he, you know, even CM Punk's greatest championship runs were when he was a heel, you know, like, um, you know, Jericho was a heel, you know, you, you, you want, you want that heel to carry because you want the fans to hate him and you can't help but love and hate MJF at this point. He's, he's doing wonderful. He really is. He's, 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 it's almost like he's actually, he believes who he is. He's just being himself. This might really be him in real life. We don't know. And you, and you, and you won't know. And that's the best part of it. And what do they what do they always say? The villain is the hero of his own story. Correct. A villain most of the time doesn't know he's a villain. I mean, MJF knows he's a villain. I mean, but it's the idea of the fact that even with like at the beginning of this Roman Reigns thing, Roman Reigns, I'm sure in his own mind, in his character development to this character, thinks that he's just a guy who think he lost he lost his title and he lost his quote unquote push, if you want to say that, because he had leukemia. And then all of a sudden he came back and people didn't respect. He didn't know if people were respecting him because they felt bad for him because of leukemia or what was the next step. And he became the tribal chief or whatever the correct terminology is. And I think that's where it gets interesting. But before we, before we move on to, you know, CM Punk or the return of the, the elite, do you, how do you want this to play out? Do you want him to win the, do you want MJF to win the title clean? And then afterwards, He's the idea of maybe either that night or the following dynamite. He goes and is supposedly like shaking hands with Moxley and the firm come out and they, this is all a ruse. Do you want him to act? Basically, I guess what I'm asking is, do you want him to actually keep his word at least for the pay-per-view match and win clean? Or do you want another dusty finish or some schmaz, which everybody gets upset about the WWE and having the firm come in and interfere and everything? How do you want this to play out? Well, I, I, I think there's been a like a talk about before how AEW doesn't have a lot of interference compared to WWE, right? Like the comparison. Well, <laughs> I mean, well, feels like there's four thousand. Yeah, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but right. like you know, you have Pac, you know, going for a hammer every three seconds, and you have all these other things where, yes, you're getting finished. What they do great is you get finishes in every every match. Right. I should have said that. You're getting to the right. finishes right now aren't the way they were doing it in year one, year, year one, two, and most of year three. Right. I, I meant more like disqualifications, stuff like that. I, I kind of misworded that. Um, I think that I really, I don't see him winning clean. I can't. And if he does wonderful, but I, I can't see it happening. Um, I think that him winning clean would, would kind of ruin him in a way, you know, like, I mean, how many times did Ric Flair win clean? I mean, Arn Anderson's like the MVP of at least eight or 10 Ric Flair's championship run. You know what I mean? Like, 
you know, it was always, you know, Arn bearing, you know, bailing Rick out somehow, you know, like, and actually that's what I thought Sean Spears was going to be eventually for, you know, uh, you know, MJF, you know, when they had the pinnacle and all that. Um, so I don't see, I don't see it. He's not, I can't see a scenario where he wins clean. I think it's all talk and just all a build up and then he's going to do what he has to do. Um, and then after that, you know, they will try to somehow maybe write Moxley off so he have his vacation or something. Um, my question for you is who then becomes, say, say they write Moxley off, right? Give him his vacation. Thank you for doing this. Let, you know, let MJF have the torch now. Who then becomes the next in line? Do you move Wardlow up that soon with, like you just said, how Wardlow is not getting the proper credit and he's with Joe right now and he's getting like one, you know, uh, def defense, you know, the, the defend the belt once a month per se. Who Who's next in line then to then come after MJF? Well, I think it's dependent on the story you want to tell. I mean, if Hangman is healthy and he gets through all of his concussion protocols and everything else, I think you have a story there where, he, ne he never actually lost, you know, the match, and he's former champion. You can go there. You can go with Brian Danielson to give a – but then you get to the same idea, well, Brian Danielson – how many times can Brian Danielson do the job and still be Brian Danielson, which, if you ask me, I think it's forever, like a Rey Mysterio. doesn't matter how many times they lose. They have such an equity with the, with the fans. But if Hangman's healthy, you can go Hangman. If, he's, if he is a heel – if he's actually turned somewhat babyface, you can go him versus uh, Ethan Page leading up to that, you know, with that. I mean, like I said, it all depends on if he's a face, a baby face. You can go through other members of the Blackpool uh, Blackpool Combat Club. You can, if you want to go and do a rematch now that he's champion, you could have him, you could have him face Claudio. You could have him face Eddie Kingston. I think there are options out there. I mean, but there's another person that the next time Eddie Kingston goes for the world title, he most likely should win it. I, I agree. Mean, so, I mean, that's, you know, so there's a lot of people. I mean, I think one of the biggest, and I know we're going seven circles here, but I think one of the biggest problems that fans have with AEW is that you just bring a guy in and you give him a title shot. Like, you know, I understand Matt, and it's, I know it's a TV, the uh, TNT title, but Matt Taven's been in the company for literally 35 seconds. We all know he's a former Ring of Honor champion, IWGP. And I understand it's it's an open title with like how Cody had it whenever Babyface there, but why in the world is Matt Taven getting a title shot? I mean, like if you wanted to have Matt Taven be there for a month and get three straight singles victories against you know either no names or if you wanted to have him be a Chuck Taylor or someone, just so the fans and I understand that we it's the belief is anyone who watches a uh, AW is a is a hardcore uh, ROH fan or a new Japan fan or whatever, but how many people are honestly over the last, you know, year are watching impact. I live, I live in a, I live in New York city. Um, I live in the Bronx cable vision, optimal, whatever you want to call it, good or bad, whatever it is, we don't get access TV and I'm not spending, you know, $5 a month on impact on YouTube. I'll watch clips. I know who he is and I'll, and maybe it's coming from a way. Cause I wasn't, I was never the biggest uh, Matt Taven fan, but, why should I care who Matt Taven is? I mean, unless I know who Maria is and you're telling me, oh, Maria brought this guy in, so he's got to be somebody. The idea of Matt Taven or earlier, you know, uh, Bobby Fish or Jay Lethal, these guys getting title shots out of nowhere, 
that's a problem that people like are kind of have a problem with. Like just you had this past week, Pentagon Jr. or Pentagon El Scoro or whichever the 17 names that he's able to use because who knows what AAA wants him to be able to do at each time. Like, I understand they, they kind of wrote in storyline where they said that Moxie wanted to face somebody without fear or whatever, and Moxie wanted to be a fighting champion. But I, unless you're telling me that you're, anybody who holds a title, and especially like the, uh, the trio's title, can go for any regular title anytime they want. I mean, he basically did that again with, you know, Phoenix, which I think is going to be a great match with Luchasaurus and Orange Cassidy next week. But who has Phoenix beat in the last, you know, in a singles match besides, you know, you want to say Jungle Boy? Which is a great right. match, but how do these people deserve these matches? And I think that's part of the problem. And I know I don't know if I actually answered the question here, but that's kind of the problem that I think some people are having with AEW. And by just by not building guys up with with wins, well, I think we even had a discussion about the rankings in one of these Facebook groups that they, they don't even, you know, they haven't been updated since mid-August. Right. I remember that post. Yes. The, the idea of the fact that AW has all these guys and some guys are sitting on the on the side forever, like a Miro, who we all love, or Darby Allen, who's doing whatever. It's hard to justify what you can do with uh, a general point back to where MJF, what he, you know, like what they do next, unless you're going to build somebody over weeks. And I'm not just saying dark matches or dark ele- elevation. You've got to build somebody to be actually worthy of doing it. Like actions are great. Like the idea of Ethan page hitting the, uh, the ego edge, whatever, whatever he calls it. I apologize. Uh, Ethan, you're, you're a great guy. Um, but him hitting his finisher on him, does that mean that he should be the number one contender? Right. No. It's because Morrissey, you know, hit um, Moxley. Does that mean he should be getting a title? If you want to say a grudge match and maybe an eliminator match. I mean, and that's the beauty of what they do, the, the eliminator matches. If you win the match, you get a shot. So it's kind of hard to say who would be next for MJF if you don't build people to get wins. And I understand the idea that you can't, like when you have all these dream matches and everything in AEW, sometimes people have to lose in order to build up other people. And that's what he has to balance better. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, it's funny you br- you bring that up. Uh, that was on the Busted Open podcast the other day that, um, you know, so if it takes a wrestler 10 years to, you know, become into their own and make put them over, how long does it take for a promoter? You know, like Tony Khan is still three years into this. You know, he's, he's green. So we have to give him somewhat of a break that he, you know, that he needs, you know, he needs time to learn the, the curve and do the long, long-term storytelling. I know we've had some of it because of the fact that there was history before AEW, you know, like with the box and, you know, with hangman and all that, um, even with Adam Cole coming in. So there's been history because there were other promotions, but as far as like in AEW itself, you know, we're dealing with a promoter that's very still young and, was more of a fanboy than, you know, I mean, you can say whatever you want about him, but you know, he, he, he bought the business because he loves the business and that's great, but he's still very young in it. So I think he gets a pass, but only to a certain extent, he does got to start building people up. Uh, you mentioned Miro. Um, and I know that CJ Perry brought up that, you know, Miro wants to be champion. If not, you know, you know, you know, he, he could beat all these guys up in real life. And I think he's, you know, joking, but the, I do think that we've we've missed the boat on Miro. You know what I mean? That like we need to 
right now, if I was TK, I'd be building Miro up because Miro could be the next one sitting, you know, on simmer to then have a run at the, at the heavyweight belt. Um, and we're not doing that, you know? So I think that's another like missed opportunity in my opinion. Sure. But you know what? I can go back on you. Just one point on that. If the story of the next year, and you could think it's the right story or the wrong one, but if the story of the next year is MJF is your guy at MJF, and you got to get at some point get this title off of MJF because he could be leaving for the WWE. The idea of then, are you just going to build Miro up to just then lose? And then the fans are going to be like, well, you, all right, you had Miro get a couple of wins, but Miro is putting over MJF. Look how much bigger and this and that, you know, so I mean, or, you know, you could say, like, you know, if I said before, Eddie Kingston, the next time he goes to the title, he should win the title. But does that mean that, you know, Eddie Kingston stays away from the title picture until 2024 when we know officially what's happening with MJF? I mean, same idea. Are you putting a Kenny Omega in a match? Now, and we'll get, and we can talk about Kenny Omega and the Bucks in, in, you know, one minute here. But if you're putting Kenny, are you putting in Kenny Omega in his next time a title to lose? hangman like the idea of putting over mjf to be the super strong force other people have to take the back seat and the fit and this is what's like kind of not not wrong with fans but fans want to see their guys be on top but you also have to realize sometimes the story isn't them and as a result you got to figure out what you're okay with like if miro comes back when he does come back and i think miro is a key factor are people just going to be happy with them being either the all Atlantic champion or the TNT or TNT champion, or are they going to just, or do they want him going for the world title, which I just said, he goes for the world title. He's not winning. it. Right. No, I, I was thinking more, I may have been more specific. I was thinking more Miro, in my opinion, say we say we do the whole MJF is going to leave in a year thing. We have MJF have a run. Right. In, in, in my opinion, I feel Miro or, you know, uh, Wardlow, even you can, if you wanted to, even Samoa Joe, one of those guys, the one that did, you could use Hangman as well, I guess. One of those four dethrone him. So, yeah. but I, I think Miro is one that, and again, it's not just that I, I'm a fan of his. I just feel the guy's got the look. He's got the build. He's scary. Like he's an intimidating guy that can be a great champion if given the opportunity um so maybe he would be the one down the road but no it can't be recent there's got to be ones that come up you know first so maybe you're right maybe you know uh ethan page you know is probably the next one i think that makes the most logical sense because you know of him you know uh, doing the uh was it the etho ego's edge or whatever it is something like that yeah yeah um you know on on mjf so i think you're right i think that's the way it goes but at some point, though, TK's got to start finding a way to brew in the background and get more of a win total so that it looks like you're progressing in that direction. We've lost – we seem to lose that since he's inherited ROH. That's interesting, an interesting point. And let's be honest. And I think – I mean, the person who I want to – and I, I know that we're already – this is a problem, and, and as we do more shows, you'll see my anger at certain things. But – the idea, the fact that the minute somebody wins a title, and I'm not saying you're doing this, but the minute somebody wins a title, we're already booking who's going to beat them. We're not enjoying the actual title run. And I think that's, you know, a common, and I don't know, I'm sure every generation has this type of thing where I'm sure the fans that, and we were fans in the 80s. I mean, I'm sure fans in the 80s, the minute that, you know, 
Macho Man won the title, we were thinking who's going to, how do we get a title on someone else or someone like that? But I mean, I think it's more, it's the, I need it now type of mentality. It's the, the old guy on, on the roof yelling at, yelling that he does not getting his own way. But um, I do think that's a little bit of a problem. The fact that, like I said, and we're just talking hypotheticals here, but the idea of MJF was a title who's beating him. I mean, like in my perfect world, I think it's, it's gotta be one of two people. It's not, it's not, and it's not who I want it to be. I mean, if it was my, if it was booking my company, I would have in a, at the end of the year, Swerve, Swerve Strickland would beat MJF for the title December 31st of next year, or whatever it is. The day okay. before project, or whenever that dynamite or rampage or pay-per-view right before he's supposedly leaving or, or the next show when, you know, whatever the decision is going to be. That's why I, but the perfect idea is you've got these four pillars. It's either Darby Allen or Jungle Boy. Because your long-term story is one of those two guys you would hope. I know they're smaller, and I know neither one of them is the greatest talker as of yet. But if you got four pillars and the two, the only pillar that hasn't won a hasn't won a singles title is Jungle Boy, and the two times that they face each other, MJF has won. So I mean, if you want to book long term. You would think maybe a Jungle Boy beats him or a Darby. Those would be the guys. But we're going way, way down in the future. But uh, no, that's a great. I did not think of that. That is really, really spot on there. Like, it, uh, it's kind of mind blowing. I didn't even think of that at all. I forgot about Jungle Boy. I mean, obviously, Darby Allen, you know, I, you know, I'm aware of, you know, and you're right, the pillars, you know, uh, if we're doing long, long, like long term storytelling, if we like it or not, that, that's the way to go. You're right. Um, we'll see if it pans out, but that's that's a great point. As if you listen back to old episodes of the Workshop Wrestling Podcast, one, once an episode, I actually have a good point. Majority of the time, it's all BS, and Jason's carrying me, as uh, he was once said, was the human wheelbarrow. But um, that's enough plugging for a show that doesn't exist anymore. But let's talk about the the big thing that's looming over everyone's head who who cares about AEW and who has a sick interest of what could happen next. We had All Out, which I was lucky enough to be at live in Chicago. Wasn't at the press conference because, you know, about that big by any stretch. But we had the the brawl for the brawl for all in 2022 the, or the All Out brawl or whatever people have dubbed it. You had uh, Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks had a conversation with CM Punk and A Steel. We saw uh, a 30-second promo package of the elite being deleted, basically. I hope this has nothing to do with, you know, a deletion with Matt Hardy. Please know as much as I love Hardy, <laughs> it's not going that direction, but we had the promo and more information is coming out and we can get, it's a whole nother subject on how much you want to believe the quote unquote dirt sheet writers and everything. Cause I know in all these Facebook groups, Dave Meltzer gets something wrong and the, the world decides to go and crash and you crash on him. But and maybe this is telling how I'm not anti-Dave Meltzer. But what are your thoughts on where we're going here with the 30-second promo? Are they coming back at full gear to win the titles that they never lost? Is this going to be a long-term storyline of slowly we get hints of them coming back? Kind of Not with QR codes, like almost like a Bray Wyatt, but do you think this is a three-week storyline or is this a longer storyline with the return of the Elite? And then we'll get into CM Punk afterwards. I think it's a longer term. Um, because I think they're the bigger picture. Um, I think, I think that, you know, if you had to pick between the, uh, the EVPs and CM Punk, 
you know, the EVPs are the future, you know, of all elite wrestling. Um, leaving your, you know, personal views aside, you know, uh, so I think it was always written in the cards ever since this kind of whole scrum and then the brawl thing happened. You know, CM Punk is the one who will eventually, you know, have to leave if he can't, you know, make amends and we'd bring back, you know, Omega and the Bucks. But I think that it's like a kind of like testing the water and getting, getting the reaction. And the longer you can do that, I think, you know, leaving cliffhangers and drawing it out, it brings on anticipation. So not QR codes, like you said, but at least, you know, because I know everyone's kind of savoring now what's going to happen, right? Um, and that's the world we live in now is we want that next, you know, dose of what, you know, what chapter are we at in this saga? Um, so I think it would be um, very foolish of TK and, and AEW to bring this all so quickly. I think I would let this play out slower, um, but maybe I'm wrong. If it was me, I would do what you're saying, but you've got a pay-per-view coming up in three weeks. I think the way that Tony's Tony Khan's mind works is, yes, he's big into long-term storytelling, especially when it comes to the members of the elite. But I think that if you want to create a splash and make people start to care, I mean, not the word is care again, but if you want them to go and feel like pay-per-views are moments and everything else, I think you do some sort of op- the uh, the death trial death triangle does an open challenge. Yes, I know that basically you're giving away that they're the guys coming, but I don't think you know letting people know what's happening is always a bad thing. But I, I think they'll most likely go and open challenge. You've had the dissension between members of the death triangle over the last week or two. With you know Pac coming across more as a as the bastard character than he has in a while, with them having problems with Phoenix, right? See that they go and lose, have a great match, which we're all you know we would expect with the Death Triangle and them. I think at the pay per view, the Elite come back, they win their titles back. I don't know how much they're going to get into because of the pending maybe legal issues with Punk. How much they'll actually get into saying Punk's name and different things for the short term. I mean, you even had you did see Punk even on our TV on TV, you know, two weeks ago when they did the the whole highlight package of all the past champions of Ring of Honor, which I think gave some people a false hope that he might be coming back. But that's the only thing we've really seen with them. I mean, we've seen over the last you know six weeks or ever since uh, you know Brandon Cutler has been back. And yes, but like I said before, if you're watching Dark and Dark Elevation. More power too. You got more time than I do most weeks, but he's used, you know, the elites, the, the young bucks music when he's come down to the ring and everything. I don't know how much they've, I don't think they've said anything directly on commentary with those things, but there's been slow mentions. And then you had this come back. And then the week before, I believe you had like a slight mention without saying their names by uh hangman saying, you know, I've lost a bunch of friends, which is, right. you know, it was more than just a dark order. So I do think that your idea of doing this a longer term thing is great. But if you look at it, and I'm going to be pulling one of a former podcast partner of mine, Christopher Morin, check out a show, Morin's Law Podcast, where the idea of the fact that if you look at, you know, WrestleTix, they are not drawing great right now. A lot of these shows, they're doing a great job, like Impact has done in the past 
of making, you know, 200 people look like, you know, 3,000 people. They're doing a great job if you're not seeing a ton of empty seats, unlike, you know, like a New Japan sometimes show from the past year. And I, my apologies, I, I was going somewhere that and I went somewhere else. I do that sometimes. But just the idea that they're not drawing great. I think the pay-per-view is most likely sold out for uh, full gear. But other shows and not huge buildings, like 5,000-seat arena uh, buildings, day of the show, WrestleTix has, you know, 1,000 tickets still available. Or, you know, 1,300 or maybe sometimes 900. Rebringing back in the elite, I think, can get some of those people. And nobody knows if for the last seven weeks people weren't buying tickets because they were angry. The fact that the elite wasn't there. But when you have another three stars there, it might help people come in. And he's thinking the idea, I need people to buy tickets. You know? Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, no, that that's that's a fair, fair point. I mean, I wasn't thinking about it from that perspective, um, but that makes a lot of sense, especially, you know, with the with the numbers being down. I mean, that jumps from right back up, right? It's because you know, because the guys who who made this return. So um I I just I just didn't think there would be I just didn't think it would be smart to put the belts on them immediately, but maybe it is. Maybe it's a better idea and I'm and my idea isn't as good. Um not saying no. I mean, like I said, I would have them be out for a longer period of time, I'd have them do more hints and right going and then slowly maybe bringing back, you know, being the elite and them hinting at things and saying, you know, why aren't we back and maybe building a story that way. But I just I do think the idea, if you're not doing Young Bucks, and this is my own personal break, if you're not doing Young Bucks versus FTR and whoever's champion versus Kenny Omega, you put them together and you get better, you get them back on TV as soon as possible, especially when you're hearing all these things of the fact that supposedly Warner, you know, Time Warner, uh, Warner Brothers, HBO Max, whenever they, the Discovery said seven. Mm-hmm. And I know one of them has to be right, but. When you have them talking about trying to extend for a longer term deal and doing documentary series and doing more stuff with Time Warner, I'm sorry, uh, Discovery, your biggest guns in your holster to go and be able to say to people, they're back. This isn't the the house is the house is okay. You may not be happy the fact that CM Punk's gone, possibly, but your three three of your other flagship parts of the show are here and we can say to advertisers look at this they're back yeah no yeah and i think that would be a very very smart move for for tk to at least you know pitch that as a way to keep that agreement going with you know the whole discovery you know hbo max that whole situation all right so we we've we've gone around in circles over this big subject which it's hard to actually say opinions on when everything is still somewhat rumors and who knows if a poor dog went and accidentally got hit by a door and lost two teeth, or if it's, you know, a stretch of the truth when other people there said that never happened. We've got, you know, Chris Jericho saying that he's, that this particular person's a cancer and will never, doesn't want to work with them. Of course, we're talking about CM Punk, Bill Brooks. None of us have a personal relationship, so we'll call him, we'll call him CM Punk for at least for this right now. CM Punk, what are what was your relationship before All Out Weekend? Were you a fan of his? Were you somebody who was happy he came in? I mean, what's your general idea when it, it comes to CM Punk? I'm a CM Punk guy, and I have been 
since ROH. Um, I saw his last match in Ring of Honor. You know, I, I happened to see uh, that last run. Uh, they were in uh, they were in Woodbridge, Connecticut, um, before he went to WWE, and I get to I got to see him live. And um, I was always a punk guy, um, but there's a reason why his name is Punk. You know, he's 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 been a punk. Um, he's been a punk in many ways. Um, but that's how he draws. That's how he always has drawn. Um, you know, uh, and you know, from Ring of Honor to WWE now in AEW. My problem with Punk right now is this. Um, I felt when he came back, he was just so grateful to be in front of us. That was one of the loudest pops I've ever heard. And I wasn't there. I wasn't in Chicago. But just watching it on, you know, on pay-per-view, it was crazy when, when he came back. And he just seemed so humble and so grateful that he was starting his wrestling career again. And I think we all do this at humans, as humans once in a while. We forget in the moment, months, years on end, whatever, we forget about how happy or grateful we just were to be back. And we start overthinking and overcalculating and we get a chip on our shoulder. And when I watched the scrum, that's what I saw was CM Punk literally in his own head. I'm not saying he's wrong. I'm not saying that Hangman wasn't wrong for opening his mouth. And I'm not saying that people weren't wrong for getting involved between him and um, what's his name? Cole Cabana. Uh, but he should have picked a different time and place. And he didn't. And I think he put himself in this situation and I don't see how they can bring him back. I don't see how they can trust to bring him back. If Jericho is one of the, you know, locker room leaders and is probably the greatest wrestler over 45 ever, in my opinion, or at least in the conversation. Well, uh, the demo gods out of the demo. Yeah. Uh. But the point is that, you know, I, I feel that if Jericho is not willing to work with them, and now the, you know, now the Bucks and Omega, you know, have their issues with them. Where are you going to do? You're going to keep Punk in a separate part of the building and only wrestle certain people? Like, no, he. I, I think he's got to go. Um, if if I could decide Punk's legacy at this point, me personally, I would say if I was Punk, I'd go to New Japan, go wrestle guys I've always wanted to wrestle, maybe or see see some different type of matches out there, um, if that's even possible. Um, don't go back to WWE. I mean, it's bad enough. Cody went back in my opinion. Don't go back to WWE. Um, I mean, it would kill me personally, but I don't see how punk could be back in the AEW ring. There was rumors that he's like got a desk job chair or something or a desk. He's, he's working at a desk right now. Uh, I don't know what that's all about. That's a rumor. I just think at this point, TK has got to buy him out. Be grateful. What he did bring to the table. He did bring, something to the table we can we can you can like cm punk or not he did draw interest back or draw more interest to AEW by being there um especially being in chicago and all that when he was you know when when he debuted but i think that he kind of wrote himself off here and it's just time to leave so i've got an interest this is actually kind of funny over the last uh, couple of months since i mean me and I, i know i'm bringing up a guy who People listening this first time may not even have heard of, but my my best friend, one of my three best friends in the world, Jason Brooks, who I used to do the Workshop Wrestling Podcast with. It's funny. Our podcast has basically been going on, I believe it was January, the first, the first episode of Raw of 
I believe it's 2014. Our sixth episode was titled I'm Gone. It was when CM Punk uh, left right after, uh, was it the Royal, I believe it was, uh, was it the Royal Rumble when he? Uh, yes. Because wasn't Rumble? that, because that was when Batista somehow came back and got like, like given like, you know, certain something ahead of him, remember? There's nothing to do with Batista at that point. That was like the final straw for Punk, I believe. Right. But it is funny, the fact our, our podcast or my podcast and career when it's come to wrestling has revolved around CM Punk, Woe Is Me, one of the greatest promos and everything else in history. But I was just thinking back, you know, like I said, a couple of months back, the idea, the fact that pretty much everything I've done when it's come to wrestling podcasting, outside of, I guess, like for a little here and there in college, has been around CM Punk, CM Punk leaving, CM Punk and Cole Cabana with two of the more interesting art of wrestling, you know, podcast ever, CM Punk doing UFC. CM Punk coming back at Chicago. CM Punk, the rumors of him, you know, actually under a mask at a couple of indie shows coming back, you know, coming in and doing a go to sleep or whatever. Him being, he's one of my, of the modern era, he's one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. I will fully say that. Do I think that what happened in the scrum was unprofessional and there should have been, someone should have been smart enough, aka Tony Khan of, just not having a shock looked should have done something to go and stop this before it got worse. I love Tony Khan. I know I'm going to sound like a fanboy, but do I, over the last three years, he's absolutely deserved to be booker of the year. Get into that another time. But <laughs> the idea of CM Punk and modern wrestling over the last, you know, eight, basically the last 10 years, he has even not being there. He's had an influence. And if he is gone, he's still going to have an influence of what AEW did afterwards. Do I think AEW needs to get rid of him? I don't know. It's it's a tough subject because he's he is by far MGF is great. The Omega and the Bucks are great. You you name them, they all have their their place, and the company wouldn't be what they are without him. Chris Jericho is you know one of the greatest of all time and has had a rebirth and. I'm glad he he doesn't look like, you know, a doughboy anymore. A fat guy saying somebody else is fat. That's great. But um, <laughs> all of these pieces are great. But you know what? When people truly started to take ADW to that next level, Chicago last August was on a rumor when they sold out the, not the Sears, the, uh, where the Bulls play. The, um, yeah, a- on a quote-unquote rumor. And we all know that Tony Khan, when he says these little things of a rumor, He's going to try to deliver if it's, if it's possible. This company is another place that it was before he got there. And the idea of him not being in there anymore, I think, hurts the company. Does it hurt morale, him coming back? Absolutely. But I don't think you have to get rid of this guy right now. He's still, he's still going to be out for, what, another five or six months with the, recovering from his latest injury? You would like finality to every story. And you would like to go and be able to move on. Absolutely. But I think people's opinions and different things change over time. And I think the company's better with them than without them. I know that you're saying guys like Chris Jericho and I'm, and this is something I was bringing up slightly before. Everyone believes what they want to believe when it comes to things that come out from these, from the quote unquote dirt sheets of wrestling journalists or writers. Sean Ross Sapp is, is, is right a lot more than he's wrong. Dave Meltzer's right a lot more than he's wrong. Mike Johnson, Dave Shear, all the people 
are on the major sites. They're right more than they're wrong. So it's it's crazy that we want to believe people say that Dave Meltzer is makes up things. But when Dave Meltzer has the big story, and I know I'm going off my tangent, so I'm coming back to the initial idea here. But when Dave Meltzer goes and says all of these things, we'll believe about CM Punk, we're believing them. When he brings up something else, we don't believe him. So I think it's you have I think people have to figure out where they stand on what they want to believe. Do I believe that his dog, Larry the Larry the dog, got hit by a door and lost two teeth, and nothing was said about this for, for you know, for nine weeks or whatever it is? I don't know if that's absolutely true. I wasn't there. I can't fully judge. Do I think that the young bucks did nothing wrong? No. It takes two to tango. Do I do I think that CM Punk and Ace Steel felt threatened and they decided that they were going to go? And stop anything before it happened? Sure. Do I think Ace Steel should have been fired? Absolutely. You can't be biting people. Can't be doing all this stuff. It's really tricky. And I know I'm not giving a true answer here. But what's quote unquote best for business, I hate that term, but what's best for business for, for the boys is for CM Punk to be gone. What's best for actual AW business is for CM Punk to get healthy and come back. True. So You're right. it's two sides of the you know, it's two sides of the same sword. I don't think that's the, the right terminology there, but there's two sides of the same story. I was having this conversation, like I said, I was I was lucky enough to uh, be able to be at all out and the aftermath, I was hanging out with Jason and his kids, his lovely wife, for uh, like two days afterwards because it was during the uh, Labor Day Memorial Day, whichever one is weekend. So I was out, you know, I was staying with them for part of it. And we were having, me and Jason were having this conversation, you know, taking a walk in the park and, you know, being domesticated. Weird way to put that. But, um, and we were having this conversation when it initially happened. It was, and Jason's going, he can't come back. And I'm going, one, we don't know all the facts. Just, and this was just basically what he said in the press conference. It was just like, that was burning bridges that couldn't, that shouldn't, you know, that we maybe can't repair. But like an old time wrestling fan, an old time wrestler would say, the way you make money in this business is by making reality the things that happen in reality. You put them into a storyline. Are you telling me that one of the great workers of our time, Kenny Omega, can't keep himself in check and have a four and a half? Yes, bring up Dave again. A four and a half star match or a five star match with CM Punk going down as, and you could go and build the story of the next time you have you know FTR face CM Punk. FTR not first. FTR face the Bucks, either in a six man or whatever. That can't be great storytelling and bring in more money than you'll ever see. If you have Omega and the Bucks, either with the titles at that point or not with the titles against FTR and CM Punk, that may not be one of your biggest buy rates ever. I mean, I know it's I know it's awful to say, and we all we're all in this time period of capitalism is bad, but. The idea in this is not just is not wrestling friends. It's wrestling business, and what makes you money, things that people care about. Did, I mean, I love I love Matt Hardy. I do. I, the Hardy Boys were. I followed the Hardy Boys since they were you know the the quote unquote the brood. But did anybody ever care more about Matt Hardy than when he was having the feud with Edge and they with Lita? Did it? Was gonna bring, yep, you're right. You're spot on. I was just going to bring that up. So I mean. They they realized, and yes, by the time that that act, that match actually happened, 
everything was cool by then. And they've they've both said it in an interview. So it's not like me saying something I don't know. But the idea, the fact is, over time, all wounds are healed. I mean, you had a miscommunication between Eddie Kingston and Sammy Guevara, where Sammy, at least is what we all want to believe, Sammy in a promo thought he was, you know, quote unquote, the idea of saying of a match by fat shaming, which in our in our current culture, that's not nice to do. But you know what? They're they're, you know, Playboy Buddy Rose, I'm sorry by age here, you know, was, was not a small man. You know, Adrian Adonis. And I'm sure in some of these feuds back in the 80s, someone said, get this fat, you know what, out here, and I'm going to kick his ass. They didn't go and forget the fact the guy was fat. Eddie took it the wrong way. They sat down. They talked. Sammy has got his own problems. Where he apparently doesn't know how to keep his mouth shut with people. But the idea, they were able to work together, and they had a really solid match at the Arthur Ashe show, which I was lucky enough to be there. Yeah, I, I've gone to quite a few AEW shows. I'm a mark. Uh, but I think that's just a general idea. That's the problem. What And these are the things that Tony Khan has to figure out if he wants to run a, comp- a, a wrestling show or a wrestling company. What's more important, the business aspect or making everybody in the bo- making all the boys in the back happy? And that's that's the problem. WWE, as much as we all hate what Vince McMahon has come, Vince McMahon realized right or wrong, the business what was most important. The boys aren't going to always be happy, but if they're making money, and then you can get into the you know WWE Network where they weren't getting money for pay per views and different things like that. But it's the idea, the fact that when you see that paycheck. Usually that heals all wounds. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, I that, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, th- my my point is, can you get the boys to do it? Because I, I that's the problem in AEW is that it's not like WWE, where either you do what you know leadership wants or you're, you're gone. You know, like or you just don't you don't you don't get pushed. I don't. I, I'm trying to figure out my you know how much influence TK really has to where he can really put his foot down but like hey listen guys you're gonna have to expect the fact that cm punk is coming back because he's best for business how does that conversation happen how does it does you know the bucks and omega take that i mean i th- think that's the other thing is that we have so many stories like you said and rumors of what's happened we may never know the truth i said this once uh, on iheart wrestling that it's gonna be one of us one day you know, uh, one one of us fans who are really that captivated by it are going to eventually have to do like a dark side of the ring version to find out what really happened at the scrum and with the brawl because right. we're never going to get the true answer. Um, I mean, listen, I would love to have Punk back if Punk can behave himself and they can all, you know, use the feud as of you know to fuel a great promo and a great you know program, but. Yeah. Can they keep the personal respect out of it and make it into a program that remains to be seen, right? Sure. We, we discussed a lot of, a lot of interesting things here today. Let's, let's end this show off on a little bit more of a fun note. Because we've, we've all, you know, we've, for the most part, we've agreed, which, you know, I think that's an entertaining thing at times. But I don't know what your, your relationship is with the PWI, all these top 500s and the PWI, you know, just came out. The women's wrestling top 150. My, my my general point of view on it is it's a gimmick list. It's there to help people get over, help certain people get a little bit more notoriety. 
unfortunately fans aren't looking at that way. They're like, my favorite wrestler is should be here. My favorite wrestler should be there. I put up on this infamous I Heart Wrestling Facebook group, who I'm lucky enough over the last couple of weeks to be uh, entered into. And uh, my, more of my life is going away minute by minute as a part of it. But uh, what what was your – did you get a chance to look at the uh, the top 10 women for uh, the PWI top 150? I did. I saw I saw the post about that. Um, my biggest two things, and this is for 2022, right? This is for like, you know, um, basically the, June to June, I believe it is, or or September right. to September. Yeah. Okay. So I feel the two names that I don't want to say don't deserve it, but maybe could have been lower or someone else could have been in their place was Charlotte and Thunder Rosa. You know, Charlotte Flair, you know, from W and Thunder Rosa from AEW. Um, Thunder Rose is tough for me. And the reason why Thunder Rose is tough for me is because uh, I followed her on Facebook. I remember when she was in NWA and doing just, you know, like uh, more of the indie scene, wasn't on TV much. And uh, all of her posts were so humble, so like grateful and her experiences and all this. And then she got to AEW and things just started to get a little different. Um, I still love her. I think, you know, I, I'm a fan and I, and I want to, you know, uh, support her. But her character changed to me. And then she got the belt on her. And um, her push was weird. The whole push, the whole campaign of her being AEW Women's Champion um, just didn't seem right. And then there was a speculation, which I guess really isn't speculation. It's kind of been proven that, you know, she wasn't selling. And, you know, she was kind of being a little stiff and a bit complicated in the ring with some of the talent. Um, so I don't know if she's worthy of being as high up as she is, but then someone else brought up another great point about it. How can Thunder Rosa be pushed properly when TK is pushing Jade Cargill, you know, super hard as the TBS champion, right? Um, and is getting more, you know, more push and more promo, whatever, more time than the actual women's champion itself. Um, so that's where I stand on it. I think the rest of the list is very fair. Um, I think everyone should watch Stardom. I just started watching Stardom. I never watched it. Um, shout out to It's Miller, who uh, runs iHeart Wrestling. He's pushed that down my throat the past three years. It's just, like you said before, it's hard to try and find time to watch everything. So I end up watching Stardom on delay, you know, or when I can. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, it's really a great promotion for, uh, you know, and uh, some great talent there. But I guess if I had to pick one, the Thunder Rosa one has to be maneuvered a little bit. Unfortunately, I think Jade has to go over her um, only because of the streak and the way she's been promoted. Um, I'm waiting for Thunder Rosa's return. I hope she does return. Um, but again, it'll be, it'll be um, interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, so for people who may not know, and like I said, I know we've gone on for a little while here. Uh, Surrey, I believe it is how it's pronounced from stardom was one. Right. Seen a couple of her matches and from everything I've seen, I think she's phenomenal. Uh, you got Bianca Belair from WWE, Thunder Rosa from AEW, who I see a lot of people have been a little back and forth with that. I mean, remember it's storyline based. She was a champion. And she got hurt right after the year mark because, like, with the men's one, everyone was going crazy about certain people either being there 
or not being there. And, you know, they were hurt. So like Big E, I think, was a little higher than people thought. But Big E was there for the majority of the year before he got hurt. Uh, Becky Lynch, Jay Cargill, uh, Jordan Grace from Impact, Saya Kimatani, who I apologize, I butchered your name, uh, from Stardom, Charlotte, which is an, an interesting one also, Starlight Kid from uh, from Stardom, and then uh, Taya Valkyrie from uh, AAA Impact. Speaking of somebody who's had a great run post WWE, and I yes, wonder she- if she would, you know, I wonder if she'll come back or not. But that's, I think the list is fine. Like I said, I always find these lists to be silly to begin with. I think they're more of just a way, like I said earlier, especially when like it's the PWI 500. If so, if you still buy these magazines or if you look at the websites where they're on, actually seeing somebody who's like maybe in the 400, somebody you may not know about now, but it might help someone get booked or, you know, somebody over the years, you see them slowly progress. You know, I think like a, uh, Jonathan Gresham, who is a subject for another day, like years ago was like maybe like in the 300 or something and wound up, I think this year it was like 17th or something. Mm-hmm. I mean, the progression of how you've grown. Like, and this is all a lot of this stuff is like the wrestling magazines where they're storyline driven. Like all of these, like, you know, you've got articles that are written in there are stories to get to put over things. I mean, when I look at when I look at Thunder Rosa and I can understand why people look back and forth. Did she have the greatest title run? No. Did she have some great matches on there? I think her like me and Jay have gone back and forth. Where I, I think, you know, the the uh, the tables. The, the no holds bar, whatever it was called, match between Dr. Britt Baker and Thunder Rosa is, is, in my opinion, it's one of the best women's matches I've seen. Him, he thought there were, you know, a bunch of NXT matches which were better. I can see one way or another. I don't, you know, I can't fully disagree one way or another. But I think what she's done for the business, and I and I wrote this in this in the uh, the, the iHeart uh, Wrestling Facebook group, the idea, the fact that what she's done for women's wrestling with Mission Pro Wrestling, giving a lot of women their start, giving them an outlet, and as a result, getting onto AEW, Impact, like, you know, I think Masa Slamovich, uh, who's the number one cont- contender in a, uh, in Impact right now, she got on TV, and if I'm wrong, if I'm partly wrong, I apologize, but I believe she got on TV with dark ma- matches with dark and elevation for AEW was because of Thunder Rosa. You know, Janelle, Janelle K, I believe her name is. And you got other people like I think I think Cora Jade, who's who's doing quite well in WWE NXT, depending on what you think of her character and everything else. She got her. She was in Mission Pro before that. A lot of people who you wouldn't think of got their their break because of Thunder Rosa. And I think when it comes to some of these lists, it has more has more. Sometimes it has more to do with what your impact on the on wrestling is. And I think her impact has been, and yes, impact wrestling impact. I think her impact has been very important over the last year or more. You think about someone who started off in Lucha Underground as Cobra Moon, who basically was doing, basically took one or two bumps. She wasn't even, she had just started at that point. And now people care about her and she's become a big enough part, with, you know, being one of the, before Camille, she was the, she was basically the face of NWA women's wrestling. You can say what you think about NWA. We all, I'm sure, have our opinions. But her importance, sometimes maybe it's wrong to look at it this way. 
but sometimes you got to almost look at maybe it's almost like with a baseball player when they're getting a contract, you know, like I don't know if you're a baseball fan or not, but Aaron judge with the, with the Yankees or whoever signs him. Yes. If he's getting a 12 year deal by the time it's over, he's going to be like 42, but you're paying partly for what you did in the past and what we believe you're going to do in the future. Like an Albert Pujols last contract were a disaster, but you know, the angels are paying for what they saw before and what they felt they were going to get. So when it comes like to a Thunder Rosa, you're sitting there going what she did leading up to becoming champion and, you know, how she went and is bringing in a Hispanic audience. You could say that's right or wrong, you know, putting it based on like a Rey Mysterio type of thing where you're looking for the, you know, you're looking for your Latin X or, or Hispanic star and not, and I think, and you could say this is a fault of TK or Tony Khan that Phoenix isn't, you know, the biggest Hispanic star in the world right now. But Thunder Rosa very well might be the biggest Hispanic star. And the stuff that she's brought in, the stuff she does, outreach with Mark Henry and everything, and her being on Busted Open Radio every, I guess, every Friday now, and bringing out the idea of promoting women's wrestling in general and promoting AEW. We could say she's maybe on the outs sometimes with Tony Storm and all this other stuff. But I think her impact is why she's so high. Do I think she should be above like a Bianca Belair? No. And I don't think anybody would say she should. But where she is and being in the – and I think, like I said, being in somewhere in the top ten, that's great. Who cares? But the idea that she's become a big enough person, that she's even on this list at this point from where she started, I think is a great accomplishment. Oh, totally agree on that part. Absolutely. I just, I just hope when she does return that, you know, I just hope that she kind of, you know, cleans up the in-ring stuff and uh, she kind of brings a little, a little more, I guess I'd say professionalism. That's just my take on it. Um, Cause I, I just, I, I just, I saw her kind of like, and maybe there's something going on behind the scenes. We'll just never know. Um, as far as, you know, her promoting and helping others, um, you're spot on about that. Um, and I, you know, and, um, that's why I'm an avid fan of hers. And, you know, you know, I don't just run because, you know, she does something I don't necessarily like. But the in-ring stuff, though, I mean, you can see it clear as day. She wasn't selling. And I, don't know, I just and I know Charlotte Flair's done that in the past, too. Um, to me, if you're going to be in there, you got to you got to you got to be in there. and You got to protect your opponent as well. You know, you're, you're wrestling um, and you're trying to put on, a, you know, uh, the best show possible. Um, the worst thing you can do is not sell something and someone gets hurt the wrong way. Um, but that's just, I mean, but you know, and like I said, we're, we're going on a little bit more than I thought we would on this particular subject, which is great. because it's, it's a lively debate, but the idea of the fact that if you watch, I'm sure if you watch stardom or new Japan, there's this thing called, you know, strong style. Right. The idea. And there's a lot of old time wrestling fans who hate the idea that nobody sells anything anymore, which I could totally understand the idea for the majority of the time of, you can say a little bit more now the Young Bucks have learned how to sell and storytell. But it's basically, you know, it's Lucha Underground where basically nobody sells a move. Nobody actually stay, stays down for more than three, you know, two seconds. And you could say nicest, one of the nicest guys in the world apparently is Hangman Adam Page. And he, apparently he didn't realize it, but he was a little he was a little too stiff for people, you know, at the time. And I think you you live, you learn. And maybe when, when she comes back, Thunder Rosa will realize – and maybe take the criticism a little bit better. And I, I've heard some of her times on Busted Open over the last couple of months, especially the fact when she, since she's been 
She's been hurt. People can believe if she is or is not as hurt as barely as she's saying, having to get epidural shots and different things. And she's supposedly supposed to come back in January. But the idea that, you know, hopefully you learn from the criticism and you can put on, you know, like people not like each other. It's been very, we starting from what we said earlier, Dr. Britt Baker and Thunder Rosa openly have both said, not even storyline wise, they don't like each other, but they have, a, they are able to get it out in the ring with a chemistry that's top notch. So hopefully, sure. you know, next year when this list comes around, maybe we'll, hopefully we'll still be talking one way or another, and maybe we'll have a couple of people from the past come on and, you know, tell me how stupid I am as usual, but it's, you know, it's always an interesting list. This has been a great conversation over the last hour plus. I didn't think we'd go this long. I thought, you know, it'd be like, Hey, look at that. We, we spoke for three minutes and it's, it's great. We have chemistry. Great fun. But uh, Harry, I want to really appreciate you bringing up this idea of doing a podcast again for your first one. I think you were quite elegant and you brought me up and it was nice to uh, do this again. But Harry, if you have any last words before I tell people how they can, uh, you know, look at my old stuff. Uh, I, I appreciate the opportunity of uh, being able to do this with you. I feel uh, we have a uh, great chemistry and more conversations uh, probably on a weekly basis. Uh, if I have it my way, um, there's definitely enough wrestling uh, topics we can talk about. Um, we haven't even, uh, you know, tipped uh, some of the history stuff, you know, goat status, all that. So maybe we have some future podcasts there. Um, but again, you know, thank you for your time and uh, hope you all enjoy it out there. Very cool. And Harry didn't chase to say it, but uh, I think it's a private group, but uh, there's a lot of great stuff going. I mean, as much as social media is a, is a pain in the ass, we have uh, one of the groups that uh, on Facebook is a wrestling Facebook group called I, I Heart, lowercase I, the word, the actual spelling of heart, I Heart Wrestling. Seems like a lot of nice guys on this group. And uh, hopefully you find it and are interested in joining. Uh, from there, you, you there's other podcasts that uh, people may have know of who have who are hearing us for the first time. You've got the the wrestle the wrestling uh, roundtable, the raw, the, the bad and the ugly, raw the bad and the ugly. Yeah, that's it, Smellers. Yeah, which I like I said I had a chance to hear. I mean, I I even told him this. You might want to change the idea of ex from clean to explicit because I. I love their content. I thought they had great chemistry. I actually wrote a review for them. Most of it was true, but um, saying how, you know, much I thought how their chemistry was great and they had some really good conversations. So you should feel free to check them out. Uh, people want to go back into the archives uh, and look us up. You can find old episodes of the work shoot wrestling podcast with myself and Jason Brooks. And also the last thing, which I'm very proud of, and if you let them, if you let the other ladies know about it, I will, I'll deny it, but you have the, you don't know Jackie podcast. You've got, we talk uh, TV. We talk about, we've spoken about the show squid game first season of yellow jackets and a whole bunch of other shows. So it's a great little community of, with, with a Patreon and maybe we'll set up one ourselves at some point, which nobody will want to talk to us about, but, uh, be, be sure to check out the You Don't Know Jackie podcast view and all the other You Don't Know Jackie shows which we've done over the years. But for but for Harry, this is Corey Richmond saying thank you for giving us a chance and uh, like, review, and all that other fun stuff on podcast apps all out there. And we will hopefully be back. Let us know what you think. Five stars if you're nasty. 
I don't know. I've heard that somewhere else. So I'm not going to give them credit. But uh, <laughs> Harry, thank you for joining me today. For your first time, I'm glad that I was the one to pop your cherry. I'll talk to you next time. See ya.